0: It's a real privilege to to be here. I am also today representing Camp Maranatha from the great state of Idaho. And uh, if you are afraid to give blood down here, come up and counsel at our camp. The mosquitoes will take care of you. Start small, um, but the mosquitoes are large. But we have a great camp, and we'll we have a video for you, and you can take a look at it. We'll show a little bit of the beauty of the state of Idaho. Uh, Did you know that every McDonald's French fry in the world comes from Idaho? That's as good as Disneyland, I think, don't you? Uh, State motto is, this spuds for you. Where's that laugh track? I need help. (laughs) Thank you. But as Dave said, um, it's been a privilege for many years to be associated with the master's college, first L.A. Baptist College. Of course, my wife and I came down here, uh, her to college and me to seminary in 1963. And uh, we left in 1966 when we both graduated. And Harriet Ishi came the year afterward. We're really getting back to ancient history. And it's significant to me to be speaking in chapel, uh, perhaps one of her last. It may be her last chapel. Is that right? Um, The man who speaks Friday, I understand, is... Jim Huckabee, the one who preceded me in coaching here, he was, I think, the first basketball coach, and you will appreciate him. He coached at Christian Heritage for a couple of years, and so I hope you really do a good job on Christian Heritage this coming week for Jim's sake, and uh, do a little bit better than than we did against Westmont last night. That was I really enjoyed watching. The quality of basketball has increased greatly since my days of coaching. Uh, it was the one one great thing that confirmed my call to the ministry. Certainly not to coaching. Um, we won two games. Dave was right about that. I think we only played 19 game a 19 game season. We didn't have a gym. We practiced on the concrete slab up behind the rack. Um, I don't even know whether the slab is still there. Um, and we we rented Hart High and a bunch of other facilities. We didn't have a place to practice. And we took walk-ons. Of course, there were no scholarships. It was a cheaper program, um, kind of like those cheap dates. You get what you pay for. I <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. That came up twice. So Dave, it must be on Dave's mind. I, I don't um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> But uh, I think really my, my most exciting involvement, oh, I was going to say that the team that we beat, this is significant, the team that we beat twice was from Upland College, which went out of existence that year. They were so humiliated. The whole school just folded. <laughs> but I think the, my most exciting involvement with the college, and there have been many uh, through the years, I was here the day that uh, we achieved accreditation. That was really an exciting time for us. The last time I spoke in chapel was the day that we called Dr. MacArthur to be president. And that was an exciting day. I was so excited about the vote that I'd forgotten that I was supposed to speak in chapel. But uh, we praise the Lord for all that has happened since that day. And as I started to say, perhaps the the greatest to me is that my two sons, David and Paul, have uh, come to the college and it's, it's a real privilege to be identified with them. Uh. <laughs> don't you like it? I don't know how many of you remember Paul, but of course you remember David. <laughs> and, uh, I think these, these pictures catch the essence of the two men. <laughs> um. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> i'm getting gun shy now you know you never know what these guys will put up behind you um but uh the thing about being a father is that if you notice that sometimes we behave strangely toward you treat you like children uh don't give you the slack that you deserve um It's because we still think of you like this. We think of you in some kind of a freeze frame from the background, from our memory. And uh, those are good memories. We like to remember the times when we were so fulfilled in having the children in the home. And uh, it's difficult for us to make the transition from uh, childhood to adulthood for you. If you think it's tough for you, it's tough for us too. And as hard as I try to change, uh, uh, the, the last year or two, I think I've been able to make that transition with respect to my sons, uh, to see them as men, but there's still times when I see them just like those pictures. There's real value in memories. In fact, I think God has uh, given us memories for a great purpose, and the scripture is full of exhortations to remember, to think back over your past experiences, to use your past as a means of uh, consecrating your lives to the Lord further. In fact, um, maybe many of you this past year have been exposed to one of Dr. MacArthur's messages on leadership. I know he talked to the board and shared some of this this with us. And uh, one of the signs of a deteriorating organization is the stopping of tribal stories, of reminiscing. And it is important to have a homecoming, to have the old grads come back, to remember the past, to remember what God has done, uh, to look at significant events, both in the history of the college and in the history of our own lives, uh, to help us to chart our course. The past is an important element in our future, there's no question about it, and in our present. The church has powerful ties to the past. Uh, the greatest of which scripturally is the communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He wanted to keep the cross and his sacrifice before us vividly. And so he gave us that beautiful, simple uh, ordinance to remember him. And you can think of many scriptures to uh, that bring out the theme of memory. Uh, as a consequence of the memories that flooded my mind when I, began, when I received this assignment or this uh, opportunity to speak in chapel, my mind went to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, where I want to concentrate our thinking this morning on the subject of memory and how God uses it in our lives, how important the past is to our present and to our future. This really is the climax in a series of reminiscences of tribal stories if you will of memories of the past of stories of heroes heroes of faith and they bring us encouragement to press on in our own lives because they were victorious they bring history to bear in a very powerful way uh, these issues of memory and our relationship to the past were brought to my attention forcefully uh, During the process of of thinking this through, in an article uh, that I read by Robert Coles, who is a psychiatrist, in a book he wrote, The Call of Stories, and in a chapter on moral conduct. Now, this is the secular man. He wrote this in 1989, so it's contemporary, and he's analyzing the basis for moral conduct. And... One of the things that he says uh, is that he, when he begins to grapple with moral matters, he harks back in his mind to his college years. And I think that is significant because it is a time when you establish your moral foundations on your own. You're in the process of breaking away from parents. And many of you would like to forget your past. You have memories of home maybe that you don't like. Maybe dad is not a comfortable word to you, or mom, or family. Uh, Young people today come into life, as you know, with many different kinds of uh, scars upon them. And many of them deal in the area of moral failure, uh, either personally or in the family. And that is the condition in which we find ourselves, and it is the condition out of which God is continuing to call his people. So it's not surprising that that should be the case. But nevertheless, that is the circumstance in which we find ourselves. Mr. Coles goes on to say that uh, uh, as he grapples with these moral matters, he makes three conclusions, and they're really different ways of stating one. And I think, again, they are important in the context of uh, Hebrews 12. I want you to begin to focus your minds. First, one can be smart and evil. A person can be very intelligent and be evil. This is an educational institution. And it is our purpose to give you a broad acquaintance with uh, truth. All truth is God's truth. And uh, the purpose of a liberal education is to acquaint you uh, broadly with truth. Historic and biblical, of course, as the grid for examining all truth. And coming up with your... Uh, conclusions that really translate into everyday life, he notes that there is a distinction between character and intellect, and the reason that that is significant, I think, is that in our day and age that distinction is blurred, and the real gurus of our age are the intellectual the intellectuals and I know that we are also moving into a very mystical uh, period, but we tend to especially in a college setting. Uh, Hold those high who are intellectually astute. But in the midst of that, one can be very petty in his um, application of life. Cole says, our preoccupations and obsessions, however innocuous and transient, indicate how hard it is to break out from our self-centered conceits, especially when the needs of strangers are at stake. So that points up a problem, doesn't it? that we can be smart and we can be evil and the real problem is self-centeredness. I have observed in college students over the years that it is the most self-centered period of your life and it is necessarily so because you are formulating the foundation of your life morally and spiritually and philosophically and all of that. But the great danger is uh, too much introspection and too much self-preoccupation. And so that is one of the problems that he identifies. And the second um, he identifies is that one can be deeply moved to act and not act. Uh, He uses as an example a story by Anton Chekhov entitled Gooseberries where we encounter a character by the name of Ivan Ivanich and he speaks of happy people we see people who go to market eat by day sleep by night who babble nonsense marry grow old good-naturedly drag their dead to the cemetery but we do not see or hear those who suffer and what is terrible in life goes on somewhere behind the scenes it is a general hypnosis Behind the door of every contented happy man, there ought to be someone standing with a hammer and continually reminding him with a knock that there are unhappy people, that however happy he may be, life will sooner or later show him its claws, and trouble will come to him, illness, poverty, losses, and then no one will see or hear him, just as now he neither sees or hears others. But there is no man with a hammer. Chekhov says the happy man lives at his ease, faintly flattered by small daily cares like an aspen in the wind and all is well. And Coles goes on to ask the question, how do we find that hammer for ourselves? His use of the adverb continually is singularly important. With it, he makes it clear that an occasional knock on the head, a sermon, a lecture, or the reading of a story such as Gooseberries, will not quite do. We shrug off, we shake off, we walk away from, we close our eyes to the world of unhappiness. He goes on to say Chekhov can at best prick the conscience. We remember for a while that misery exists, but made uncomfortable, we want to forget what we have just heard. The gnawing irony persists that powerful poems and poignant prose can affect us, excite us, cause us to see more clearly, yet not deliver that daily hammer blow Chekhov described. I believe that we, as believers, have that built into the system of the, the, uh, the heightened conscience of the Spirit of God dwelling within but we can close our ears to the the sound of the hammer. We can become so used to hearing the sermons, uh, so conditioned to being excited momentarily, and doing nothing, that it can be a detriment instead of an encouragement to continually do what God has called us to do. It is one of my great fears for the community of a Christian college. I believe it is fortunate that most of you finish in four or five years. And uh, the third conclusion that he draws, it, and it is similar, is that one can fail to find meaning in intellectual pursuits. And he uses the writing of one of his students, and the students struggle with his the moral dilemmas of his own parents and the fact that he eventually finds meaning somehow in all of the facets of his life after seeking them in in various intellectual areas. He finds meaning in some kind of service. Coles comes dangerously close to the essence of our Lord's teaching that all of life is found in loving God and loving your neighbor but obviously without knowing the Lord he comes terribly far from what we know to be true but because we live in this century in this decade in this country we are subject to the very same pressures that bring about his conclusions I believe that Hebrews 12 brings the focus upon the system of memories and examples that God words, God's Word gives us, that forms a standard and a constant against which we can, we can measure our lives, and that encourage us to press on to complete our purpose. Listen to the two verses. You know them well. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to the encouragement here of all of those who have come before you. Who are they? Well, it doesn't take a Phi Beta Kappa or a THD to know that he's talking about the great 11th chapter and all of those people, those heroes of faith as we call them. And you know well that this, is, this book is especially addressed to the Jews and the, 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 those who had professed Christianity. And the danger was that under pressure they would lapse, they would go back into Judaism, they would fall under the bondage of that empty system of laws that could do nothing for them. And they would fall short of full faith in Jesus Christ because of the pressure. The the message really begins in the first chapter where Jesus is presented as superior to all other modes of salvation, all other methods of thinking, all other um, ones in the universe. The Son of God, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But all of those heroes who were a part of Jewish history, well-known to every schoolboy, were the uh, ones that were pointing them to faith in Jesus. And I think that the, the pressure is there for us as well to lapse along the way, to not follow through to completion that to which God has called us. And those who are encouraging us are not only those heroes of the Bible because sometimes they can be so remote there's some someone that you studied back in Sunday school and now in your Bible courses you're getting to know them perhaps a little better but there are others that join them that we need to think about just briefly And I want to say also that these who are encouraged us are not spectators they are participants the whole game of Christianity if you will is a participation sport is for everyone. There are no spectators. They know how you feel and they have passed across the finish line and they are gathered around the finish line screaming encouragement to you to continue. I think that the, because the text says that we and us are involved means that also there is encouragement from our contemporaries, there is encouragement in the college community. To continue on and that's a great help to us, a great support group. That's one of the functions of the college as you well know. I was thinking the other day and in the line of talking about some of the more contemporary heroes of faith, let, faith, let me reminisce a little bit about the college. It occurred to me that I think I have met or know uh, everyone who's had a building named after them here. It tells how young our college is, right? Um, I remember that in 1964, the whole college uh, student body and faculty, the whole college family gathered on a pad that was prepared for the building of Hotchkiss Hall. And we held hands in a circle. It would make a lot bigger circle today. And we prayed about the the building of that building. And Herbert Hotchkiss was there. Dr. Hotchkiss was there. He was a, a magnificent character. Uh, typical eccentric college professor. I mean, they're, they're all a little eccentric, aren't they? It just goes with the territory. And uh, he was an ecologist before his time. He loved to stand, you, you could, I can still picture him standing, hands clasped behind him, just looking up and enjoying one of the great California live oaks. And in those days, uh, they weren't as regulated. And if we cut one down, we had to deal with Dr. Hotchkiss. He was also the last of the Victorians. He called himself that. He thought the worst mistake we ever made in this country was giving women the vote. I've heard a rumor that Dr. MacArthur believes that, but I can't substantiate it. <laughs> Think about it. No, no. <laughs> But Dr. Hotchkiss was a great man of God and a man who was able to stand uh, for the truth. He knew the Schofield Bible backwards and forwards and uh, was a great teacher. And he is part of the history of this college. One of the greatest stories he tells is of standing up to the Ku Klux Klan in his church back in uh, New York State. You'll have to ask his son John about stories about his dad. But when he was, he was quite old and... and uh, It was difficult for him to teach in the years that I was here, and he was so committed that he would study standing up so he wouldn't fall asleep. Uh, I'm afraid that we students didn't have nearly the diligence that he did even later in his life. As David mentioned, we lived in in King Hall for a while. Marchant King uh, was a professor in the seminary here uh, for many years, and uh, he taught out of a wheelchair. We used to mimic him sitting and strumming the spokes of his wheelchair. Uh, He would pound on the side of it to make a point. But a great man of God whose crystal clear blue eyes could look right through you. And uh, the white mane of hair, you see the picture if you ever stop to look, that doesn't do justice to the presence of the man. In a wheelchair, he stood tall for the testimony of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Fred Waldock was a missionary out of Temple Baptist Church in Tacoma, Washington, the church where I grew up. And I grew up knowing Fred. And Fred is a great hero of faith whose name is imprinted upon this college. And one of the reasons that it seems so appropriate to me that that uh, his name should be brought in is the fact that we have such a strong missions emphasis. Uh, Fred persevered over many years of ministry, uh, fighting through cancer, uh, having to come home for emergency treatment and then go right back to his beloved India. His wife Dorothy, who survives him, uh, has also fought cancer and continued to minister until retirement just this past year. The train of the faithful continues in the life of their son, Ken. I expect that uh, Ken's children Ken is alumnus of the, of the seminary, and I expect that his children will soon be matriculating at the master's college. Uh, Dr. R. L. Powell was my pastor growing up. Many of you perhaps have grown up with uh, the only pastor that you've known as Dr. MacArthur. Uh, Dr. Powell was my Dr. MacArthur, the only pastor that I knew growing up. His name is on the library and you, you don't have any acquaintance with him. You don't know anything about him, but he was a great southern orator and a great man of God who put his imprint on this school and saw to it that many came and uh, came to classes here. And we could go on to speak of, of many others. I'm pleased to find that there are many uh, students whose parents attended the school. I was working in the dorm when uh, Jack and Cheryl Shiflett. We're students here. And their daughter, Christy, is here. Where are you, Christy? Did you come to chapel today? Way in the back row. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> just checking. <laughs> but her parents, um, her dad, Jack, is from Alabama, came to the Lord of the Marine Corps, and uh, ended up at LABC. Cheryl came from Chicago, came from a family that were... Uh, Jehovah, no, not Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Christian Science. They met, and married, went to seminary, and are now on the mission field in Spain. Uh, Kristen Haas is here. I won't have her raise her hand. Uh, But her folks, Quentin and Claudia, are old friends of ours, went to school here. I was surprised to find that my son Paul was rooming with a guy by the name of Mark Tatlock. Uh, His dad was one of my basketball players when I coached. Larry was our best player, of course. But all of these, plus the professors, uh, the, your pastors, yes, your parents, your mom and dad, they are all part of this chain of heroes of faith that are cheering you on. Uh, they, they form the hammer knock in the back of your head when you contemplate doing something that is ungodly undisciplined, or out of the realm of God's will for your life. And they all form part of God's way of speaking to you and bringing you along in Him. And so we are surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses. And as a result of that, let me just give you the things that we should do in response to that great truth and that great background. First, let us lay aside every weight. Let me translate that for you. Pursue your course with a disciplined mind. Don't break concentration. Stick to the plan that God has for you. Don't allow yourself to be distracted in your race. I believe that you can be distracted by many, many trivial pursuits. As a generation, you have more choices than any generation in previous history. And as a result, it is very possible for you to abuse the freedom that you have. And I believe more than any other generation of Christians, you are tested by the choices that you make. The opportunity and the call to deny self is greater to your generation than any generation in the past as I see it. And so let me encourage you to pursue that which is uh, godly and counts for eternity. Don't have any trivial aspirations. You can be sidetracked into things that merely make money. And you have heard many times from this pulpit, the danger of materialism. And I'm sure that uh, you're probably tired of it. But it is a danger. It is a great challenge to uh, deny yourself all that you could possibly have. Purposely limit yourselves in all the things that you could have for the cause of Christ. I think that there is a great danger as well for you because of uh, your idealism. No one is more idealistic than a Christian college student. And as you go through your process of education, you will find that people will disappoint you. And that even these uh, heroes of faith that you know, family and friends and your support group, will not be able to ultimately meet your needs. And there is a great danger that you will lapse into cynicism or bitterness In the context of Hebrews 12, Esau comes up. And he is one who was uh, siphoned off into bitterness. He is one who sold his birthright for a pot of beans. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. When someone is going to run a race, of course, they slough off all of those things that are excess. There may even be good things. Personally, I believe that the affluence can be, that we have can be used to great advantage. It's not a matter that money is evil, but of course it is the stewardship of that money and the stewardship of those resources. And you have more than anyone before you. I am just, My mind is blown by the technological advances in every area and the ease with which you handle them. Um, just your ability to... Uh, handle computers and uh, all of the electronic equipment and nintendo and all of those things that were totally unheard of a few years ago and yet those things have great potential for the cause of christ and the, the, the challenge is to use them and to creatively plug them in and to not allow those technological advances to slough you off into lesser pursuits but to use them for the cause of christ Secondly, not only lay aside every weight, everything that would deter you, but the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sins that so easily entangles us or surrounds us, the language says. And I think the sin of all of them that is mentioned here is the failure to trust. Obviously, the context is a life of faith. A life that continues to live in utter dependence upon the Lord. And there are so many sidetracks and so many sins that can drag us down. Ultimately, they find themselves in the, the failure to follow Him all the way, to trivialize truth, if you will. You can trivialize your pursuits uh, and go after things that don't matter. You can trivialize your aspirations and desire great things of the world instead of great things for God or you can become so used to truth so used to hearing it that it goes in one ear and out the other and that goes along with what we mentioned earlier that you can hear the stories you can be conditioned to the emotions and uh, tragically we can be entertained into great fits of spiritual fervor and actually do nothing For the cause of Christ. Walk out of here unchanged, chapel after chapel, class after class, prayer meeting after prayer meeting. Now, I believe that the Masters College is doing a better job than most in acquainting you with opportunities to get out into the real world, and my challenge to you is to push beyond your comfort zone, make it a habit to try the hard things. Purposely deny yourself those things that you want, that you feel are so important. Determine to live on a level that is sensitive to the truth of God and keep that sensitivity active. When you listen to a chapel message, pick out one thing that is that is challenging you and do something about it. Even if it's just something that day. And ask God to help you to make that a part of your daily commitment to Him. It has always been true in all ages of all Christians that we could learn to talk the talk and fail to walk the walk. And the world is still looking for authentic Christianity. The great need in, in our country today is for integrity. And that can only be based on a commitment to the truth of the word of God. I'm afraid that we can easily become that generation who with itching ears, seeks teachers. Oh, what a great message. Oh, what a great teacher. And do nothing as a response. You can even go and visit a mission field and see the poverty and come back and talk how this has changed your life and do nothing. The thing that disturbs me the most... And all of this chain of events, one generation to the next to the next, passing the torch of the of the cause of Christ, the thing that concerns me most for you is that when you leave, you will face the test of life without this particular support group, without the Bible studies, without the chapels, without the emotion, without the encouragement. And fall flat on your face, not continuing those things. That would be to accept all of this as mere trappings, as only superficial, as only something that is somehow superimposed upon you, unless it gets down into the heart and the fabric of your soul. Somewhere along the line, those little compromises, those small choices, those turning points will change you and cause you to miss out on all that God has for you. My third challenge to you is to finish strong. In the context, it is the discipline of God that comes into your life. All of these circumstances that make up your background, all of those things that you're struggling with to understand why your parents did what they did and and why you are the way you are and, and all of that, If you see that as God's plan for you to make you stronger, not weaker, he'll he'll make it tougher on you so that you'll be stronger. If you'll somehow be like Daniel, who early in his life, at your age, purposed in his heart on a relatively small matter that he will not defile himself on something that would have been easily compromised, but it became a pattern of his life, So that well into his 80s, he was able to go into the lion's den victorious. That's the kind of life, that's the kind of goal that I would have for you, and I know that God has for you. That you would settle in for the long haul. That you would learn the lesson that those people that are cheering you on are not presenting themselves as some great example. Even the best of them failed at times. And if you really study their lives, you'll see that they are flawed, and certainly you know that your parents are flawed, and you know that your professors are flawed, and yes, even your great Christian heroes are flawed people. We dare not lose sight of the fact that all of this is pointing to Jesus. And That's where verse 2 takes us, looking unto Jesus, looking away literally to him, looking beyond these things, looking above them, unto Jesus. The architect and the finisher of our faith is all because of him. And the context is the cross. And he doesn't really go beyond the physical suffering because that is the realm of life in which we live, the daily life of suffering day to day. I would say this, that in the last year, two years, they have personally been perhaps the two most difficult years of my life, 24th, 25th years of ministry, 27th, 28th years of marriage. And they have been because of the fact that some of my support group, some of those closest to me, men of God, as I saw them, three in jail, and two, lost their ministries through extramarital affairs. Now that's really really where reality meets our lives. It's in the long haul of commitment to Christ. And I believe that much of that starts now by your commitment to be consistent and to look away to Jesus as the one who can bring you to full completion. That would be the joy of my life to see that this many young people would follow through to the very end in victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take what you will from this chapel today and put it to practice in your life. Dr. Hotchkiss said he used to stand at the door after he finished preaching. And you know the ritual. Everybody goes by and they shake hands and say, wonderful sermon, Pastor. Oh, that was wonderful. That was great and then they go on talking about the super bowl or whatever it is that is going on in their life and and he had the the guts i guess to say to them and maybe the age to say to them well what are you going to do about it and that is my challenge to you well what are you going to do about it let's pray